Okay, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians tonight. Um, we're, we're going to start with chapter number four, and we're going to start with verse number one. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit t- tonight about some, some cool stuff that's just in these first few verses. Uh, and, and just so you know, God has given me a word for Sunday. It's very hard to keep it off of me, so I don't just blurt it all out now because it's going to weigh me down all the way to Sunday. But God has given me a word from the wall for Sunday. It's an encouraging word. Uh, verse number one, chapter four, book of Ephesians. Um, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. Now, this is a letter from Paul, and he's writing to the, the people in Ephesus that are serving God. It, it's a church uh, full of people that got a lot of problems. So, you know, a real church, a normal church with normal people, real people in it, right? Now, the reason he says that uh, I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul is in prison right now for real. And even though the Roman Empire has him locked up, he's letting everybody know, look, the Romans might be the ones that own this prison. The Romans might be the ones that put the handcuffs on me and drug me here. But I'm the prisoner of God. Because nobody could put handcuffs on me unless God wanted them to. Nobody could walk me into a jail cell and lock me up unless God let them. So if I'm in this jail and I know I've not committed any crime, all I've done is try to be a witness for God, I'm not their prisoner. They might think I am. I'm God's prisoner. And Paul had the frame of mind. See, he had an internal perspective. Because Paul was at a place in his walk with God where he was like, hey, I'd rather not be right here. But if right here is where God wants me right now, I'm good here. Because I've learned in my walk with God that I would rather be where God wants me, even if it's hard, to be somewhere where God doesn't want me, even if it's easy. So Saul said, Paul says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord and I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, walk worthy of the vocation wherein you're called. Now we think of vocation and we think of like a vocational school where somebody goes to learn to be a carpenter or to be a welder or to be a metal worker, right? But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about to walk worthy of the job they have out in the world. Like I'm to walk worthy of being a mechanic or being a carpenter or whatever my secular job is. Paul's talking to the people of God and he's saying, walk worthy of whatever the purpose is that God has called you for into the church. That's the vocation that he's talking about. So everybody in the church has a vocation in the church. Every single one of you sitting right here have a God vocation in the church. You have a function in the church, not just the church uh, as our local church family right here, the bridge, but the church as in the kingdom. There is a bigger purpose that you will eventually, if you have not already, impact the church outside of our local assembly. We talked about kids quite a bit before uh, the Bible study started tonight. Now, we don't know who those kids are. We're going to learn their names and where they come from, and we'll be picking some of them up from their house in the morning. We may have to help some of them finish getting dressed before we bring them to church. We've done that before. We may have to do those kind of things, and we may know their name, but we don't know who they are in God. So by helping that one little boy or that one little girl, man, that might be the next missionary that goes to some other country and turns the whole place upside down, man. Somebody witnessed to Dwight Moody 
We'll leave doctrines alone, okay? But somebody witnessed to Dwight Moody, and now there's a college in Chicago, and it's a worldwide ministry. Somebody ministered to Billy Graham, not knowing who he was going to be, and he ministered in the whole world. So our impact in the church as a, a whole in the whole world don't feel like because we're this little group of people in Kingsport, Tennessee, that we don't have something to do with the church as a whole in the whole world. We do. And it's getting ready to get started. We have to remember that everybody that comes through those doors, the way we treat them, the way we love on them, the way we help them to, to know Jesus like we do so they can have the kind of life that we do and even better, we hope, right? We have to remember that they're not just a member of our church family. They're a member of the church and that they don't belong to us. They belong to Him. And that their purpose in the kingdom... See, this is a mentality that has caused the kingdom of God to not be able to grow the way it was intended to grow. And that mentality is that when somebody comes to our church and, and man, they get baptized here and they get the Holy Ghost here and they're here and, and we teach them and train them and they get strong in God, then they're supposed to be here until they're dead. God's not going to call them somewhere else. No, whatever, man. All we're here to do is whatever our part is in somebody's life that will help them make it home, to the right home. Now, that would be great. You know, you fall in love with people, man. You, you watch people fall in love with God. You watch God work in their lives. And you fall in love with people. And you fall in love because you remember how their life was before. And you see how it is now. And it just blesses your heart. Hey, I'm real Southerner now, huh? It blesses your heart. It really does, right? But what we have to remember is though we would love everybody, well, almost everybody, let's be honest. We would love that almost everybody that comes through the door would stay forever. That's up to God. And if God wants them to go somewhere else, whether it's all the way across the world or across the city, they've got to do what God wants them to do. But because people haven't had the global vision of the church, understanding it's a worldwide organism, the church is not an organization, it's an organism, it's a living, breathing thing made up of living, breathing people who have gifts and purposes and talents inside of them that God, when God had you in His hands, the Scripture says before He formed you, He knew you intimately, right? Before He put you in your mother's womb, He looked at you and He said, I'm going to make her hair this color. I'm going to make her eyes that color. I'm going to make her this tall or not tall. I'm going to put this gift and this talent and this ability in her. And this is why. Because I've got a plan for her or him. And I got this over here that I want to see them fulfill all this in the kingdom of God for me in their lifetime. We have to be willing to release people to do whatever it is that God brought them into this world to do. Jesus, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So that vocation isn't just something we decide one day we're going to do. We've been called to it. Mm. Called to it. What, what Jesus said, you can't come to the Father except the, you're drawn, right? You've got to be called. And he says to walk worthy of it. What does that mean? That doesn't mean we're perfect. That just means I know that I am the church. You, you realize that? You're not in the church. You are the church. Now, they've got a saying in the church world, you know, they're not in church right now. You know what that means? That means they're backslidden and they're not living their life like they live it when they live for God. That's what this is talking about. We're supposed to live like we're in 
church. That makes sense, right? It's not this list of standards that's handed out by the preacher. No, these are things I do in my walk with God because I love God, man. He's been good to me and I know He's real and I know He cares about the way I talk and the way I treat people, right? And so that's what this means when it says walk worthy of the vocation wherein you were called. So we're the body of Christ. We should act like it. There ought to be a difference in us and in people that don't even pretend to have anything to do with God. It doesn't make any sense that there wouldn't be, does it? I mean, that wouldn't be a real God. Why in the world would anybody want to serve a God you couldn't tell showed up anywhere? Where everything was the same after he showed up as it was before. That's not God. You can't find one time in the Bible where God ever showed up anywhere and things stayed exactly like they was before he got there. It either changed for the better or sometimes... For the worst, depending on what the people did with what he told them they wanted them to do, right? So walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called. And then it says how? It gives some pointers. With all lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, this is really cool, right? With all lowliness and meekness. Now, this does not mean to run around with a low self-esteem. We already deal with that enough. Most people deal with low self-esteem most of the time. They feel like I'm not doing as good as I could. Well, who is? You know what I did as good as I I was supposed to be when I was sleeping? And I'm getting to the age now where I can't even do that good. (laughs) Yeah, if you ain't had that yet, don't worry. God blesses you to live long enough. You will. Okay? So this, this, this walking with lowliness and meekness, it doesn't mean to walk around like, I just can't do nothing right. Don't ask me to help. I'll just mess it all. That's not what it means at all. This lowliness, what it means is, is that I recognize that anything good in my life comes from a good God. I recognize that the things that are better in my life today, yeah, I did put some elbow grease on it because in order for God to do what He wants to do in our life, we got to do some work too, right? But I also recognize that I tried doing it all by myself back down there and none of this good stuff happened. So I know the reason my life is where it is right now is because I serve a good God. I am the servant. He is the master. That's the lowliness, you see? That's the kind of attitude that just, look, we're all the ones that are there here first. That means everybody that walks in the building, when, when a Dewey and Angie come, or when my brother Damon comes, or somebody else comes at one of our services and they look around, we're in the church, man. They don't walk up and say, okay, so have you been here two weeks or how long have you been here? No, they walk in and we're the church. So anybody that's been to a church anywhere else, you already know what they're already looking for. They're already looking for, well, which one's the sister or the brother that's going to come up and tell me, uh, want to know my address and do I tithe and uh, who's that? Because in a lot of churches they've been to, guess what? There was one that come right up and said, yeah, you know, you come to church here, it's really good. You ought to start tithing right now. There's always one, I'm telling you. Then there's the one that comes around and starts talking about how, you know, honey, that's a really pretty dress, but uh, maybe it ought to be a little bit longer. wonder which one's that one. Anybody that's ever been to more than one church in their life has met that brother and that sister somewhere. So when people come into our services, they're sitting there and they've already extended a great amount of trust to us. Every one of you have been hurt, we've been hurt, and we know what it costs to finally one day say, you know what, man, I know I've tried these other places, and every time we try, it just seems like we're running into the same old junk, and I don't know if there is anybody around here that's real, but we got to try this one more time. So when people come into our services, we got to remember they've already extended a great deal of trust to us just by getting up and coming that day, Right? 
So that lowliness means that we don't think we're any more than anybody else. I just got her first. <laughs> That's the only thing that makes me any different than anybody else that comes to the door. I got her first. My job might be different than yours, but I don't sit any higher. I'm not on a pedestal anywhere. That's what it's talking about, the lowliness. And the meekness part, I heard this definition. I don't remember who I heard it from, but it's a really cool definition. And it goes something like this. It says that meekness isn't somebody just walks around, you know, and got their shoulders down all the time and never speaks up for themselves. Meekness is somebody that's got a sword in their sheath and has the right to use it, but doesn't pull it all the time. Meekness isn't being a sissy and letting somebody walk all over you. Meekness is knowing I got a right to open my mouth and just cut you to shreds. But you know what? I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to try to deal with you from mercy. Mm-hmm. So you see, none of these things when it says to, to, to walk, to live in a way with lowliness and meekness means that we're supposed to run around and with our shoulders down thinking we're nothing and we're going to mess everything up. And no, no. Do you know how much courage it takes to live in a way where you see everybody is better than you, not in a self-condemning way, right? But in a way like, man, that's my brother. I love how Jimmy can just, when I ask him to pray, can just pray, man. You can tell that ain't the first prayer he's prayed today either. Man, I love that about my brother. And then look at somebody else. And look at Lori and Travis. Like I said earlier about the way they open their home up or the way I can I can send the wells a message at last minute and say, hey, do you know this song? It'd be really good if you could sing this one if you know it. You know, never mind, they've worked three hours on this set, right? But do you know how much courage and strength and self-confidence it takes to to, to live in in a spirit of loneliness and meekness? To know that if you wanted to, you could open your mouth and just rip somebody to shreds and everybody around you would say, well, they asked for that. I don't blame them there. But you don't. Because you realize if you do, you might humiliate that person so bad they may never open their mouth again or they may never come back again. So you try to deal with them from a position of mercy to try to get to the bottom of whatever the problem is so they can be healed. Man, it takes a lot of courage to live in a way of lowliness and meekness. And then this last part is in in dealing with each other in the church. Look at that. With long-suffering, forbearing, who? One another. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul had not only been in church a while by now, he'd been in a few of them. <laughs> he'd been in enough to know, hey, guess what, man? Sometimes you're going to get on each other's nerves. There ain't no way in the world this kumbaya spirit we got right now is going to last all the time, you guys. There's going to be a time where there's going to be one or two of us going to have a conversation. It can be about something totally stupid. It don't matter to nothing. don't amount to ill beans. And for some reason, we're going to get a little sideways about it because all of a sudden I realize, you know, Lori's a Tennessee fan and I'm all about them go Gators, right? Chomp, chomp, chomp. And then, then pretty soon, you know, I, I don't even want to go over and talk to Lori because they just had a football game Saturday and that was yesterday and it's church now. I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> now, that sounds silly, don't it? But the Bible said it's a small fox is a spoil of mine. It can be something real little, and you can get a little sideways about it, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this thing. <laughs> and that's why Paul is saying, hey, guys, deal with each other long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know what that means? Forbearing? Four means out in front. So when you forbear somebody, that means you put them first. 
Even if in your mind, why do I Well, who cares? Forbear. And not rudely. He can see worse. You can't just put up with them. You can't just... No. Forbear one another in love. That ain't easy. He writes it in his verse like it's a whole, no problem. Move on to the next verse. No, hold up, dude. I'm going to be parked on that one for a while. Forbearing one another in love. That means at first it might be okay. I, I did good get out of there and I didn't say nothing. I ain't giving a piece of my mind. That's good, Arliss, because you ain't got too many pieces you can afford to be giving away, right? <laughs> and sometimes you walk away and you think, man, I did good today. I didn't, didn't say nothing stupid. Oh, I want to do. And you might have to walk it off like that the first time or maybe in the first time or two. But sometime between that first time and the next time, there ought to be a whole lot of prayer and even pray in this verse. Lord God, you said I've got to be, have loneliness and meekness and I've got to suffer them long, forbearing them in love. So Lord, I'm not feeling all that love right now and I barely forbeared them the last time. And I don't know, I might footbear them the next time. I really need some help. No, that's just the reality, isn't it? Okay, and trust me, if you don't think that's the reality yet, God's going to call somebody in our little church family is going to prove to you that is the reality. Because God's got a way of doing it, man. Like if your biggest problem is potheads, God's going to call Cheech and Chong in here and sit them right next to you on Sunday. And they're going to have fresh uh, smoked a big one in the car and you're going to catch a contact buzz. And God's going to do what He's got to do to make sure we can love anybody that walks through the door. <laughs> he watch and see watch and see he loves lost enough to do that I mean he said he'd leave 99 of them just to go find that one lost one and, and, and you know he didn't say the shepherd lost that one no that one lost themselves they did it they wandered off and they did it on their own. They left the safety of the flock behind. They went out there all by themselves. They lost themselves. It's their own fault. And those are the ones that we got to be willing to leave our 99. So what that means is there's going to be some ways we like to do it that we ain't going to get to do it the way we like to all the time because we're trying to reach that one that's lost, right? That's why I'm going to say this real quick. That's why a preacher that only wants to preach what he likes to preach is a preacher that's going to save a certain kind of person, and that's it. He cannot minister to anybody that walks through the door. In the same token, a musician that will only play their kind of music and doesn't realize that that music is a it's a hook and it's a bait to try to get those people into a relationship with God to walk into an atmosphere of the Holy Ghost is a musician that's going to be real good at whatever it is they like to play. But the only people going to be affected in the congregation are going to be the people that like that same exact kind of music, right? We got to remember, man, when the lost come in the door, I love every one of you guys, but guess what? You might hear a baptism in Jesus' name sermon on the spot, and I'm going to expect you, please help me and get behind and amen on the parts you agree with, because every one of you already got the covering of the blood, right? But that one that comes in the door might not. So we have to remember why we're here. We're here for Him, and we're here for them. Anything we get while all that's going on is awesome. So we need to enjoy these services we're having where it's all about Him and us. Because <laughs> there's going to be services coming up real soon when we start doing stuff that's important for other people, where the whole thing, you ready for this? 
Uh, is this too much truth? <laughs> Where the whole thing from start to finish is going to drain. Mm. It ain't going to be Sundays like this past Sunday. I mean, I don't know how you left, man, but I left like, whoo, man, that was fun. Yeah. That was good church today, man. I mean, it was like, it was, it was on from start to finish, man. And I know because I had to run everybody out of the room. Uh -huh. Huh? I mean, it was good church. And it's fun when it happens that way. But there's going to be services where we're going to have you guys, where the whole God, what He's going to want us to do the whole time is take what we have already got and draw from within and give. So it's going to be a drain, man. There's going to be a service where the worst is going to start and it's going to be songs you normally love, but we're going to have so many people in there just sitting and looking like, what the heck is that? And you're going to have some people in there, some kids that are mad because their parents brought them. There's going to be some husbands that are sitting there with their shoulders caught. I just did this because I haven't seen leave me alone. I'm not coming back next Sunday. And you're going to have those kind of spirits in the service. And guess what? We're going to have to be in charge of that service. So that means when we feel all that stuff sitting on us, if you, if you have to, stand up during worship. Clap your hands anyway. God expects us to be the ones that move the atmosphere in that service, which means it's going to drain you from start to finish. Man, when these revivals, like we're going to one in two weeks after those three-day revivals and some of the services I go do and some of the services at home. You may not, you may have a hard time believing this or not, but when it's over with, man, you can ask Kitty. It's like, where's the IV? When I come back from these revivals, I'm done, man. I ain't doing nothing on Monday. I probably ain't doing nothing on Tuesday. Whoo, boy, we got a fast Wednesday. <laughs> because the whole time is just taking what you got and giving. And stop and think. Kind of sounds Christian. <laughs> kind of sounds like that Christ we're following. Because he took everything he had to give and he gave and poured out everything he had to pour out for us. So now it's our turn. But if we're going to do that successfully, we got to forbear one another. Long suffering. Now, that long-suffering don't just mean, well, I've been putting up with that for a long time. You know how long I've been putting up with you, preacher. Well, thank you very much. But this long-suffering means to put up with for a long time with love. That's how he ends it. He don't give us no room to get out. He says, do this in, not with. Oh, oh I wish God wouldn't tell me this now. <laughs> See, if I, if I do it with love, then I can say it with love in my voice and walk it off. <laughs> but if I do it in love... In love, what do you mean do it in love? Here's one for you. In love with them. Mm -hmm. Anybody can love somebody that's doing everything right. Mm -hmm. Well, most anybody. I met some people who, never mind. <laughs> most people can love people that are good to them. Most people can love people that are doing their best and trying their hardest, even if they're not getting it right. But it takes a special kind of, might I say, Christian to love somebody that's not doing their best. They know it and you know it. And they're still asking you, can you clean up my mess? Can you help me? And somehow we got to remain in love. Now, how do you stay in love with somebody that ain't ready to love? 
There's only one way. Stay in love with Him. Mm -hmm. Because if you stay in love with Him, what did Jonathan's covenant with David was? He said, David, don't wipe out everybody that comes after me no matter what they do. When you see them, I want you to see me. So we got to be in love with Jesus enough that when we see that brother or that sister and they're, they're on the last nerve and, on, and that whole last nerve ain't even there no more, we somehow got to get to a place where we can see Jesus there. And we have to do it in love. If we can do that, God will trust us with the worst of the work. Wait, what? Man, I want to be trusted with the checkbook. I want to be trusted with those people living in those gated communities. That's what I'm talking about. No. Don't care where they come from. We just want to be trusted by God for somebody tonight while we're in this Bible study that's heading to the bar with their grocery money. It's heading to the crack house with their mama's money that they stole out of mama's purse. We're asking God to trust us with the worst of the worst. And in order to be trusted with them, we have to first be trusted with each other. All the time. I'm going to give you one more verse. It's a short one. <laughs> I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. To walk worthy, whatever it is God called us to do, with lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, putting everybody else first and doing it in, in love, endeavoring. That means trying. Sometimes you just got to endeavor, man. Sometimes you can do things on autopilot and sometimes you really got to work at it. He says, do all this trying to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the Spirit. Capital S. So that's not my Spirit. That's not your Spirit. That's the Spirit of God. Keep the unity of the Spirit. You mean the Spirit can be fractured? Well, God can't be fractured. But the unity when the Spirit is moving can be blown to smithereens. The Spirit of God can be moving in a certain way, like in a healing manner, and if, if they're running by the clock, and, and by golly, it's 1025, we're supposed to have the announcements and take up the offering right now, and you shut the thing down, and never mind, there's 15 people weeping under the presence of the Almighty God. We've got a schedule to stick to. It's offering time, and now, now none of y'all probably ever been in a, I've seen it. That's not the unity of the Spirit because the Spirit's trying to minister to these people, but we got to schedule it. I mean, we're going to beat them Baptists at Golden Corral. We can't be here all day now. We come again tonight. Do we just get a little bit this morning? We'll come back tonight and get all the rest. No. When we step into that service and that bell rings, it's whatever God wants to do. Yeah. Unity of the Spirit. So that means a unity all of us. We all have to come in with the one thing on our mind. We want what God wants. Man, there's some days where I come in and I want to whang. 
And the musicians might start with a slow, tender song, and all of a sudden I, I can see the Spirit moving across people, and people are in love with God, and you can tell they're getting peace. So guess what? That's what the Spirit's doing, so i got to get on board with the way that God is moving right then, you see? i got to be willing to set myself aside and be in unity with the Spirit. And it tells exactly how to do that. This wording is really cool. I love the wording. Endeavoring, trying our best to keep the unity. That means you can't keep something you never have. So when we come, God has a purpose. God's got a plan for every service. Isn't that mind-boggling? I mean, I think God's pretty busy, don't you? But He's not so busy He doesn't look down at seven or eight people coming together to worship Him and say, I got a plan for this meeting Wednesday night. I got a plan for this meeting on Sunday. He's got a plan. He has a point and a purpose. That's why sometimes you'll take this boneheaded preacher way out here in left field because, man, I thought I had a good Bible study and God had a plan that was way over here. I don't know where I was all day. I thought I was listening. <laughs> but we're going to go where God wants us to go because we want God's plan, right? So endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, and it tells how to do that in the bond of peace. What's a bond? You put a rope around. That's a bond. So peace is the bond that keeps unity hostage. Oh, I like that. I made it up myself. <laughs> peace is the bond. It's the rope, if you will, that keeps unity in place with us. What peace? What's you been talking about the whole time? How we deal with each other. Man, no wonder there's some places you go into and God tries to move and some places it don't seem like God ever even wants to anymore. And it's because these ones are over here and those are over here. And when services are missed, this brother here is going to go out that door because he don't want to shake hands with that brother over there. And this sister over here, man, she's all of a sudden got to go to the bathroom two minutes for dismissal because she just knows that sister over there is going to want to come tell her about her grandkids. I'm tired of hearing about all them grandkids. Peace is the bond that keeps the unity of the Spirit peace with each other. No wonder Jesus said, if you go on the altar, bring your gift to the altar. Anybody know what your gift is now you bring to the altar? It's you. Jesus said, you bring your gift to the altar and, and your brother did you wrong. No. Jesus said you bring your gift to the altar and you think your brother has ought against you. Don't matter if he should. Jesus said if you bring yourself down to the altar and you think your brother's got something against you, you leave your gift. Well, we can't do that. Step out of your body. Can't do that. But you leave your gift at the altar and you go back to your brother and you try to make it right. Why? Why is that so important? Because peace is the bond that keeps the unity of the Spirit. If we become fractured down here, the Spirit of God is not going to move the way that He wants to. Could it be that there are some miracles God had intended to do in services in times past in many places that He wound up not being able to do because peace was not there? There was no bond of peace that bound the people together? See, peace binds us together. And he's the prince of peace. 
said, good grief, man. I've been trying to figure it all night who's fighting with who in here. Thought <laughs> 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 you too, okay. Good, good. Well, we fixed that tonight. <laughs> There's some preaching and teaching that's called preventive maintenance. There are two things I've learned over the years. You preach what you get. You get what you preach. But you will also get what you do not preach. So what I mean by that is if you want a church that worships God, you've got to preach on worship. If you want a church that knows how to light up an altar, you've got to teach on lighting up an altar. Right? If you want a, a church that knows how, that knows they need to be reading their Bible and studying and praying to God, you've got to teach on prayer and studying the Word of God. Well, then there's also some things that you preach that are in the Bible that you preach against, not because it's there right now, so it will never be able to show its ugly head because we've used the light of the Word of God to fill the whole room and there are no shadows for anything to hide in. So we're going to endeavor to keep the bonds of peace amongst us. And the reason I say that is because we're getting ready to experience an influx of people that's going to totally change the dynamics of our body. We are. You realize it only takes three families to come at one time before it's Eve and Stephen, and they will probably outnumber us? Right. Let that sink in. So yeah, every church has a personality, right? Has a, has a type, has, a, has a, a way that it is, a personality. Well... If your church is three families and three brand new families come in that outnumbered you, that personality all of a sudden, it's overwhelmed by other personalities that bring all kinds of stuff from outside in the world that are not in the hands of God yet. So we have to make sure that we, as the founding unit, keep the bond of peace. Because just like God is going to send somebody in amongst us for us to help, the devil is going to send somebody in to try to create schisms in the body. Hear me. He's going to come in and try to get between Lori and, and Stacy, between Kitty and me. Oh, God help us. We don't want that to happen. Right, right. <laughs> and the, what happens? How do we keep that out? Because we don't see ourselves for more than we are. We recognize that everything we are and have is because of God Almighty. And we love one another. We forbear each other. And we're going to keep the bonds of peace because we know if we can keep peace right here, then that spirit, we're going to have the unity of the spirit. That means I need a miracle in my body and we got the unity of the spirit and I know God wants to give me one. So I'm going to get mine. I don't know when, but I'm going to get mine. We're praying for our kids and our adult kids for God to make a visitation and we got a fractured spirit and can't even be nice to each other. God ain't going to move like that. But if we keep the bond of peace and stay in unity together, God's going to visit all them Abbeys out there and all them other grandkids. He's going to do that kind of thing because we have the bond of peace and that bond takes work. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just like a good marriage. So many more verses I thought I was going to talk about tonight. You should have came down to here. Can't do it. I was gone. <laughs> Just like tonight's Bible study, we want the mind of God. Whatever it is that God wants to happen, God wants all of our children and those of us that have grandchildren already. He wants them. He wants to do the things we're asking Him to do. 
Now, his timing is up to him. The unity of the Spirit is up to us. <laughs> Lord, I thank you, Father, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for this church family. I thank you, God, right now, Father, we share the bonds of peace. Thank you for it. I thank you, Lord, that right now in our church family, God, we know who the king is and his name is Jesus. I thank you right now, Father, that in our church family, Lord, we put each other first. But Lord, this church family is getting ready to, to have an overhaul. You're getting ready, Father, to enter us into a season where you're going to trust us with some problems. You're going to trust us with some messes. So Lord, we're going to have people that don't know a thing about forbearing. We're going to have people that have been shunned all their life. People that have been abused and neglected all their lives, Father, that don't have a clue what it is to genuinely be loved by anybody. But you're going to trust us to love them. You're going to trust us to be the first ones to represent you to them. So, Father, we ask you tonight, God, to help us. Help us to remember, to remember why we're here. And help us to realize, God, that we're part of the 99 now. <laughs> Whew. Lord, when it started, we might have been that one. Mm. But you came after us, Father. And you've used this little church family to encourage us, to love us to where we need to be, to help us find healing, to help us learn to trust again. And now, Father, we're part of the 99 and now it's time for the one. Only, Father, it's not going to be just one at a time. There's too many of them, and there's too little time left. So when they come in, Father, they're going to have the ability to change the chemistry in this church from the time the service starts. But, Lord, when that day happens, Father, we're going to keep the bond of peace we're going to worship you then just like we do now when we are the majority. We're going to love each other then just like we do now when we're the only ones here, Father. And we're going to pour out of ourselves to them like we do to you now, God. So tonight, Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over the Russell family, the Wells family, and the Rapier family, Father. And I ask you, God, to walk with us, Lord to draw us closer to you than we've ever been. Lord, let conviction never depart from us, God. Help us, Lord, to avoid self-condemnation, God, but help us to never shun conviction. If we should stray, if we should treat one another in a way that you're not pleased with, Father, smite our heart, God. If we should ever go to that altar and it should even cross our minds, just a fleeting thought that maybe somebody in our church family isn't pleased with us or is hurt by us or upset with us, God, let us leave that altar and go to them and apologize and make it right, God. But Lord, let us keep the bonds of peace. Let us endeavor let us work. It's not work right now because we like each other and we love each other. But you're getting ready to send some people that are hard to like and ain't easy to love. And it's going to be work. So in that day, Father, let us look at each other and wink 
nod and smile, roll our sleeves up and get about the work of love. And Father, we stand on your word and we ask you to grant the unity of the Spirit. Whatever it is you want to do from the time we walk in the door for the service to the time we leave, we ask you, God, to lead and guide us and we will follow. If you want to change the order of the songs, Father, put it on the worshipers' hearts, God, and they'll do it, Lord. If you want to change the entire songs they have prepared to play, Lord, just tell them they'll do it, God, because they're here for you and they're here for others. And Lord, if you give a word and you want a different word than what I've studied and prayed over, just speak the word, God, and I'll speak it the best I can, God. If you want to do the preaching first and the worship last, if you want to break loose in the worship, God, and bless your people and have worship the whole service long and never even have the teaching of the word that day, that's all right, God. We just want the unity of the Spirit because you can do more for somebody in a split second than we can do in our whole yes, lives. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us the Bible for giving us a word that we can learn, that we can learn how to be the kind of church family that you can trust, the kind of place that you can flow through freely and do whatever you want to do, whatever we need you to do, God. Today, Father, we ask you to bless the Russell family for opening their home to us and let us never take that for granted. Cause Travis to find favor in the eyes of his employers, God that once this month is done, Father, that they would have a burden on their heart to bless him, Father God. We ask you, Lord, to bless the Wells family all week long. Move upon Jimmy's sister and upon his oldest son. Visit Stacy's family, God, and fill that van with the Holy Ghost every time they come in and Abby stays out, Lord. Visit our children tonight, God. Is it Mark and Helen and Autumn and Jennifer and their families? And Lord, we need your direction as a church family. You have blessed us in this year and a half, God. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Lord, we need to know how to do what it is you're wanting us to do now. We're not worried about it. We're not stressed about it. But we just want to know what it is you would have us to do and how it is you would have us to do it. We are your sheep. We will hear your voice and we will know it when we hear it. I ask your blessings upon your people until we meet together again Sunday. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Enjoy the Bible study. It was in under an hour. I don't know when it's ever going to happen again. <laughs>